Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You are worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory, worthy of all honor. Oh, in Jesus' name. Oh, it's refreshing to know that we are the children of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I feel that power in the house tonight. Uh, it is here among us. And we are just so overwhelmed with gratitude to be able to be part of the revival that God is doing in this church. And so we give honor to each and every one of you for every service that you've been able to come and be a part of. Give honor to your fine pastor and his precious family. Give honor to Pastor Bird and the Pentecostals of Madison. Didn't they do an excellent job in worship? And if you're a guest of ours, we're just delighted that you have come to worship the Lord with us. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of St. Matthew, the 12th chapter. And we're going to begin at the first verse. And we're going to read down to verse number 6. Then we're going to read verses 40 through 42 of the same chapter as well. And as you're turning there, I do want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife and baby boy Shiloh. Uh, we're leaving Tomorrow we start revival in Georgia, Thursday through Sunday in Georgia. So I appreciate someone that has a desire to do a work for God. And I just believe that we are racing the rapture. Jesus is soon to come back, and we don't have time to mess around. we got to make sure we are doing everything we can so that souls are saved. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 1, the Scripture says this, At that time... Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. His disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread? which was not lawful for to him to eat, neither for them which are with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Jesus said, In this place there's one greater than the temple. Now verse number 40 of the same 12th chapter, Jesus continues on with his message and says, For as Jonas, or Jonah, 
was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Verse number 6, Jesus said there's one greater than the temple. Verse 41, he said there's one greater than the prophet. In verse 42, he said there's one greater than the king. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to us on this subject, greatness has finally arrived. Greatness has finally arrived. Can we lift our hands? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we plead your blood upon this service. God, we're asking now, hey, God, that the anointing of heaven would come down. You would open our hearts that we could receive what you have planned and what you have purpose and what you have in store. God, we give you praise and thanks in advance. We pray in the name that's above every other name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Turn to your neighbor, look at them in their eyeballs and say, I hope. Say it like you got a Wednesday night attitude and say, I hope this preacher's not boring. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, here we are in this 12th chapter the Gospel of St. Matthew, and we find Jesus teaching. And his disciples had gathered around to listen to the message that he was proclaiming. Jesus began to recognize something, that the disciples were getting hungry. So he looked around at where he was. Not far away, there was some corn still on the stalks, and So Jesus made his way over and grabbed the corn off and simply began to pass it to each and every disciple. But yet when he did something so simple, the Bible tells us that there were men that saw it and got so upset. They were angry and uh, beside themselves that Jesus would do this, but that he would do it on the Sabbath day. So it's important to note that these men who were all up in arms, these were individuals whose lives were consumed with ceremonial customs. Their speech was regulated to religious rhetoric. Their vision was blinded by beautiful buildings. They only were concerned with what was on the outside and the outside only. And a matter of fact, they would actually uh, be pompous and arrogant and conceited. They would look down their nose at different people. And they would brag on what they have done and what they have accomplished and their accolades in the past. And one such thing that they would be so uh, prideful about was the temple, making sure that everybody knew what the temple consisted of, the sacrifices that they made, the beautiful altars that they had built. 
And so when Jesus heard that they were so upset, and when he began to discern that they were so mad, Jesus did something and went above and beyond. Jesus looked at them and said, there's actually somebody standing before you that's greater than the candlesticks. There's somebody standing before you that's greater than the altar. There's somebody standing before you, if we could say it like this, greater than the lights that shine and the pews that we sit on and the pulpit that we preach from. Jesus said there's one greater than the temple. Every once in a while, we have to remind ourselves this is more than just a building. This is more than just a gathering of people coming together. The reason why we have come is to lift up the only saving name under heaven, the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus just kept right on with this message. In verse number 40, he began to speak about a prophet by the name of Jonah. Jonah, no stranger to Scripture. Jonah was the one that had a call of God upon his life. God began to instruct him to go and preach in the city of Nineveh. But when this call came to Jonah's life, he decided it would be best to run in the opposite direction. Got on board a boat sailing the complete opposite way. But while he was on board the boat, there was a storm that began to rage. And it got so bad that even the ungodly men on board, even those that were not religious, they were not believers, they were not men of faith, but while they are in this storm, they turn to each other and say, has somebody done something to make God mad? See, it's something. Once you come in contact with the Lord, no matter where you go, people know there's something different about you. Uh, They can just feel it. You don't belong here. You're not supposed to be with us. Why are you acting the way you are? Didn't it take long for Jonah to say, I'm I'm the reason. I'm the one that's running. I'm the one that's tried to escape my call. Jonah began to explain to them, if you want this storm to stop, if you want the waves to quit roaring, and if you want the rain to quit falling, and if you want the lightning to quit flashing, you need to pick me up and throw me overboard. I can imagine those men looking at each other thinking, this dude has lost his mind. He's a few french fries short of a happy meal now. He's not the head cashier at Walmart. There's something wrong with this man. We're not throwing you overboard. Jonah said, no, I'm telling you, if you want the storm to stop, pick me up and cast me off. Reluctant and reserved, finally, they just relented and said, okay, if that's what you want us to do, then that's what we'll do. And they picked him up, and they actually launched him overboard the boat. And just as sure as his body hit the water, that storm quit raging. And while Jonah is splashing in the water, something unreal takes place. A great fish, the Old Testament says. Jesus said it was a whale in Matthew 12, but a fish swallowed him whole. And now he is on the inside of a whale's stomach. 
It's hard to really fathom what is going on in Jonah's mind. Uh, theologians have said that if he had been in a whale's belly for that long, the acids would begin to eat away at his skin. The acids would actually melt away all the hair on his head, on his arms, on his legs, and it would turn his skin a bleach white. And so while Jonah is inside this whale's belly, the whale is swimming to the coast of Nineveh. And finally, this fish spits him out, and there is Jonah, who has spent three days covered and whatever you want to say, and he just decides within himself, I'm going to might as well just do what God has called me to do. There's an old saying that says you can run, but you cannot hide because God's still going to bring you where he wants to send you. Jonah finally decides, all right, I guess I need to go. See, Jonah ran because Nineveh was not a real welcoming city. Nineveh would actually be uh, a place where preachers would run from. Matter of fact, uh, history tells us that they would actually slaughter the prophets and they would kill the priests and then they would take their bones and they would hang them on the walls and the gates of the city as a warning to anybody else that thought they were big enough and bad enough to say they had come from God. And so it's no wonder why Jonah said, I'm not cut out for this. God selected the wrong soldier. God chose the wrong candidate. He picked the wrong person because I know I cannot do this. But now he's in a place that he says, what have I got to lose? And Jonah starts walking down the main street of Nineveh into the eye, looking into the eyes of some of those the most wicked and vile men that have ever walked the face of the earth. And Jonah, without an entourage and without security and without any bodyguards and without any friends standing beside him, Jonah lifts up his voice and says, I've come with a message from God. And God God said, unless you repent, he's going to burn this city to the ground. I don't really know what the men of Nineveh were thinking, but when they saw him walking and he was kind of staggering and he had no hair on his body and his skin was not a complexion that humanity has, I think there were some teenagers that started looking around saying, I think we might be in a zombie apocalypse or something uh, because you better do what that brother has told you to do. Because everybody else came with swords and spears and weapons. And this man's just walking in some clothes that are worn out and says, I've got a message from the Lord and from the Lord himself. And when Jonah preached it, the Bible says the entire city of Nineveh repented. 
And when they did, Jonah became a legend in Jewish culture that there'll never be a prophet like the prophet Jonah. There'll never be a man that can turn a wicked city back to God. There'll never be one that would be unafraid and unashamed to lift his voice and boldly proclaim the message of the heavenlies. There'll never be one that could compare. There'll never be one that could take his place. There'll never be anybody like Jonah. Until Jesus stood in Matthew 12 and said, there's somebody standing in your midst that's greater than the greatest prophet of all time. Y'all stay with me just for a few more minutes. And then Jesus kept right on. He began to speak about a king named Solomon. Solomon, the son of the legendary King David. David, the one that walked out on the battlefield and slew the giant Goliath. David, the one they sing about in songs that Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain 10,000. Solomon, the one that God appeared to in a dream and in a vision, gave him the opportunity to ask whatever he wanted. Solomon said, I'm asking only of one thing. Would you give me wisdom to lead your people? And God was so pleased with that answer that he said, well, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you understanding, and I'm going to give you riches so there'll never be a king that can compare to you. And riches did Solomon get. Solomon had gardens. He had orchards. He had pools. He had servants and choirs and singers and maids. First Kings 10 and 22 says that Solomon had apes. He had peacocks. He had horses. He had camels. Somebody said Michael Jackson had a pet giraffe. Solomon had his own zoo. You got your own zoo. You got more money you know what to do with. Come on, somebody. Word began to spread. You need to go See Solomon's kingdom. You need to go and hear that man. When he opens his mouth, wisdom flows out. And so there was a woman that was the queen of Sheba, and she heard about Solomon. And she decided, I'm going to go, and I'm going to see for myself if he just talks the talk or if he really walks the walk. I want to see if it's just hype or if he is everything that I've heard. And when she shows up, she sees his treasury, she sees his possessions, and she listens to him speak. And when she reaches her destination, this was her response in 1 Kings 10 and 5. She said, I saw the meat of his table. I saw the sitting of his servants. I saw the attendance of his ministers. But verse 7, she said, thy wisdom and thy prosperity have exceeded the fame which I heard. She said, I heard you were rich, but when I saw your treasury, I I knew it for myself. I heard you were wise, but when I listened to you speak, you spoke what I was thinking in my mind. You spoke what I was contemplating in my heart. There's nobody like Solomon. And so he became the legend 
that there'll never be one that could rival. There'll never be one that could compare. There'll never be one that could stand shoulder to shoulder until Jesus opened his mouth in Matthew chapter 12 and said, there's somebody standing before you that's greater than the greatest king in the history of humanity. It took a long time for Jesus to come. They waited for the message to finally come to fruition. The people waited as the prophets preached it. But when he finally arrived, he was who he said he was. Psalm 24 and 8 said, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Verse number 10, he said, Who is this King of glory? The Lord Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. The prophet said in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, but the Lord, he is the true God. He is the living God and he's an everlasting king. He's the one that sits high and he looks low. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And those men should have known it, that you cannot stop greatness. You cannot slow greatness and you cannot stifle greatness. The Pharisees were just one aspect of those that tried to stop him. The Pharisees tried, but they could not trap him. Sadducees tried, but they could not outsmart him. Politicians tried, but they could not outwit him. Crowds tried, but they could not sway him. Society tried, but it could not confuse him. Pilate tried, but he could not judge him. The devil tried but he could not destroy him. Death tried, but it could not kill him. The grave tried, but it could not hold him because when greatness shows up, you might as well roll out the red carpet because when he shows up, you know he is there. You know he has made an appearance. You know he's walked into the room. There is no doubt. There is no question when he comes. I'm just under the assumption that when the real God walks in, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to really try to question, is this the Lord? The Bible says the Spirit bears witness of His Word. You can feel it in your heart. You can sense it in your mind. You can tell it in your spirit when God really shows up. Uh, I remember we were in a service uh, not long ago, and uh, the service had started, and Man, I'm telling you, the people began to worship and began to magnify God so much so that they started filling up the altar. And I just came down from the platform, and I was worshiping right along with them. And I was looking up, and I saw one of the other ministers on the platform, and he was feeling it. You could tell when somebody's feeling it, when they get the head jerk, you better watch out. You better grab your purse, honey, and scoot over a little bit. You're new to church. I'm just going to tell you when somebody does that, pick up your pick up your feet and get ready to move. And I was watching him, feeling it. Finally, he had all he could handle. He was just kind of shaking. Finally, he had lost it. He come running off the platform with a full head of steam. He jumps off the platform, does a flip through the air, hits the middle aisle, and he's gone. I'm thinking that better be the Holy Ghost. Hey, when the brothers start doing flips off the platform, that better be the Holy Ghost. So we're going to have to take a trip to the hospital. 
So I'm over here, and by now, Pastor Bird, I'm thinking, well, ain't going to be no preaching tonight. They're doing backflips off the platform, okay? I don't think there's going to be any preaching. So I'm just kind of standing over here, and I was feeling like God was wanting to do a little bit more. So I was kind of scanning the congregation, and I noticed there was a man in the back elderly gentleman, about three-fourths of the way to the back, and he stood up, and he got out in the aisle, and he started running. And when he started running, he got all the way to the front, and I noticed he was running real strange. He's kind of running like this. Well, he came all the way down to the front, and when he got about to the center section here, you would have thought that somebody threw a grenade in the church because people started dancing, bobby pins started flying, people started shouting and running. And I, I'm not really sure what was happening. And so I'm just kind of standing there. One of the preachers came and grabbed me by the, uh, the arm. He said, hey, bro, I know this is not your church, so you may be a little confused at what's going on. Let me explain to you. The man that just took off running, he's a member in the church here. He's been coming for years. But what you don't know is, is that he comes in every service in a wheelchair, and he's paralyzed, and he cannot stand. But the man that could not stand let alone walk, got out in the aisle and started running. You know why? When you, when you feel greatness, you feel like you can do anything. When greatness walks into the room, David said, I feel like I could run through a troop. I feel like I could leap over a wall. He makes my feet like hinds feet. Hey, when greatness shows up, you don't ever have to wonder one solitary time. You know he is there. You know he's there. Hallelujah. That's what I love about him. When he shows up, there is no doubt. There is no doubt that he is there. Oh, hallelujah. I won't be too much longer, but it wasn't long ago I received a phone call. And uh, we're driving in the car and uh, didn't recognize the number. So I answered. And a voice on the other end of the line said, may, may I speak to Minister Smith, please? Well, not too many people call me with that particular title. I said, well, this is he. How can I help you? And he said, well, this is uh, so, Brother So-and-so from such-and-such such Baptist church, and uh, your name has been brought to the council, and uh, we would like for you to come and be one of the speakers at our convention. And I said, well, that would be a privilege and an honor. I'd love to come. They gave me all the information, and so I prepared and prayed, getting ready for this service. So finally, the convention came, and I went. I didn't really know what I was walking into or who was there. So I came, and I sat down, and I started looking around. And I started seeing pastors of huge churches, bishops of Presbyterian churches, and Methodist churches, and Baptist churches. And I'm thinking... I am out of my league on this one now. They got our names mixed up or something. I don't know why they would ask me to come with all these prolific, well-known speakers. So I'm just kind of sitting back, and I'm listening to different ones speak. And one pastor got up, and he had perfect oratory. He made no mistakes. He did not stumble on his words. 
There were no uhs or ums. Everything he said was done and done with class. And I started noticing that everyone that got up to speak had their jacket buttoned. So I looked down and my jacket was unbuttoned. So I buttoned it real fast. I was trying my best. So finally, the man in front of me uh, that was speaking and then I was to come after him. I won't mention his name, Pastor Huge Church, and a doctorate, very educated, intelligent. And I was enjoying everything that he had to say. And the theme of the conference was the Word of God. And so he was going through different subjects about the Word. And finally he got on the subject of speaking in tongues. And he said, now we know that if anybody speaks in tongues today, it's because they are demon-possessed. And I thought, oh, God, what's going to happen now? What's... He said, but I know that there are those that speak in tongues and they are not demon-possessed. But they have a mental deficiency and they cannot even think for themselves. And so he's speaking and I start praying. Lord, I'm not trying to cause problems with this convention. I don't want to get up and crisscross theologies or anything like that. Please give me some wisdom on what to say and what to speak so that you would be glorified and I could just fade away off in the distance. And as I was uh, just praying there in my seat, I felt the Lord speak to me clearly. He said, the theme is the Word of God. He said, son, speak the Word of God. So I felt like the Lord gave me an answer. And so they were giving me the introduction. And so I was walking up and began to speak. You care if I take about five minutes and just share with you what I share with them at this convention? I just got up and thanked everybody for the invitation. Uh, gave honor to all the speakers and bishops. And said, okay, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Psalm 119 and 89 says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but but my words shall not pass away. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Colossians 1 and 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrown or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Colossians 2 and 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I thought, only got one shot, I'm going to make it count. I unbuttoned my suit jacket. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 4.18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Acts 4.20, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 6 and 8 and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Acts 6.10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Acts 19, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, being passed to the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, They should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues.
And I went to say the next scripture. And before I could say the next scripture, a minister stood up in the back and said, excuse me for a minute. And I thought, I didn't interrupt nobody else. <laughs> See, yes. I looked around at these pastors and ministers and bishops. And back up at me, said, I feel something I've never felt in all of my ministry. I don't know what I, ba, da, ba, ba, ba. they start speaking in tongues. God filled them with the Holy Ghost. Right? I found out a long time ago, don't tell greatness what he can do and what he can't do. Don't try to put him in a box. Don't isolate him to a certain group or a certain culture or a certain color. He's greater than my organization. He's greater than my lineage. He's greater than my family name. He's greater... Somebody ought to praise the Lord for a moment tonight. Somebody ought to throw your hands in the air and let greatness know. Oh, just stand with me. The musicians are coming right now. So I just, after after God showed what only he could do, I just sat down and the convention finally came to an end, and, and I got my Bible, and I was preparing to leave. But before I could leave, I was met by that same bishop that spoke before me in the service. He said, young man, I need to speak to you for a minute. I said, yes, sir. He said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, I know you could not be demon-possessed. I said, thank God. (laughs) But then he said something. He said, but you have something we don't have at our church. Could you come and preach to us about the power of the Holy Ghost and the mighty manifestation of the Spirit of God? You better watch out. God's pouring out His Spirit. He said, I'm going to have a church in the last days. The latter rain and the former rain are going to rain together. Hey, saints of God, church of the Lord, we are coming to the very end of the road. And God is preparing us for a harvest like never before. And we've got to understand He is able to perform the impossible. He's not a God that's confined by time. He's not restricted by location. He's He's not limited in his capability. He can do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. He can still perform the miraculous. He can still save souls. He can still deliver addicts. He can still break the yoke of bondage. He can still pour out a revival that shakes the world. Oh, can somebody lift your hands to the Lord right now? Woo! Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, I feel the Spirit of God right now. Come on, would you lift your hands to the Lord for just another moment? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.